and thank you for joining us here on Doctrinal Studies with Dr. Tab. For those of you who don't know, Dr. M.H. Tab was born into God's family almost 56 years ago by the wonderful grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He then served as a Christian school principal, Bible Institute teacher, administrator, and assistant pastor. In 1980, God then called Dr. Tab to establish Gulf Coast Baptist Church, where he pastored for 40 years. He continues his service now as the founder of Gulf Coast Bible Institute, preacher, and author of over 46 doctrinal books. Let us now open our Bibles together with Dr. Tab as our guide and rightly divide the word of truth here on Doctrinal Studies with Dr. Tab. I've entitled today's podcast, The Powers of the Family. You see, God has given five specific powers to the family. He's never relinquished any of those powers. He's never given them to any government or anybody but the family. The family powers are under the direct control of the husband, father, in the family. And they are ordained of God, Romans 13, 1. All powers that be are ordained of God, even the powers of authority in the, in the home. Now, let's take a look at these five um, powers. Number one is the control of children. That is a power that belongs to the family, not to the state. The fact is, uh, whoever controls the children, his society controls the future of that society. Good example is Hitler prior to World War II with his training uh, young boys for their military service in the future. And sure enough, when those young men grew up, by the time World War II was in full swing, uh, they were so dedicated to the Fuhrer, they would die for him gleefully. Um, Children are given to parents in stewardship, according to Psalm 127, verse 3. And the purpose is that God wants us to raise a godly seed for him, Malachi 2, verse 15 says. To give children to the state is to be guilty of Molech worship. Now, what is that? Molech comes from the name, the term Melech. Melech means king. And in ancient times, king were thought to be divine and descended from the gods and so forth. Pharaoh was thought to be that and, and Caesar and so on. Even in some modern times, for example, the uh, Japanese emperor just before World War II was, was worshipped. Uh, emperor worship and so forth. And when we give children to the state, we're really giving them over to to the government. We're giving them to Molech, um, the king, so to speak. When uh, the in ancient times, like I said, when they worshipped kings, they eventually made statues uh, of those kings, and that's where Molech comes from—an uh, uh, image uh, to which they offered sacrifices, and and unfortunately, uh, children, human sacrifices back in in ancient times, and so these statues became idols of worship. Uh, involving human sacrifice. Leviticus 18.21 talks about that and other, other passages. So to offer a child to Molech was to give him to the king, give him to the state. To offer children to Molech is an abomination to God, Jeremiah 32, verse 35. And under God's law, that incurred the death penalty to give your children to Molech, Leviticus 20, verse 2. <clears throat> now, how can we apply that today? Well, if a parent places their children in government schools, 
which are falsely called public schools. The public has no say. The government runs the show in those things. But to put the children in public schools or send them off to state universities is to be guilty of giving your children to the state. And so it's guilty of Moloch worship. And the religions of the state are humanism and evolution, both anti-God. And children put in those situations will be indoctrinated into those religions. And by the way, the source of any people's education and their laws is their God. If you get your education, your laws from the state, then the state becomes your God. So, control of children belongs to the family, not to the state. Number two is control of prosperity. I'm sorry, property. Why did I say prosperity? I guess you buy property with your prosperity. Control of property. God gave property to the families, not to the state. Now, today, the state owns all the land by right, quote-unquote, of eminent domain, and that's a contrived right that God never gave to any government. It's a presumed right of government to seize private property for public use, public domain. If you think you own your property, here's the test. Just try not paying your property taxes and see what happens in short order. The state will confiscate your property or the county, whatever, uh, will take your property away from you and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, this right of eminent domain was illustrated in our own area uh, a couple of years ago. A, a two-lane uh, highway from our town to the next town up, well, they decided to make it four-lane. It took them several years to do that. But in order to do that, they had to take property from individuals. They had to take part of their front yard and so forth to uh, change this from a two-lane to a four-lane uh, highway. And, you know, they might be merits and all that, reason they did it and so on and so forth, but the fact is, eminent domain. They wanted the property, they took it and used it for public use, which had been private uh, property. So uh, don't think you own your property. In fact, in, in paying, paying property taxes, what you're really doing is paying rent to the government to allow you the privilege of living in your own property that you bought and paid for with your own money. Numbers 33 verse 54 says, you shall divide the land by lot for an inheritance among your families. Ezekiel 30, 46 verse 18, talking about the government here now, <clears throat> Ezekiel 46 18, the prince, that's the government, shall not take of the people's inheritance by oppression, he's not going to take your property by force, not supposed to, to thrust them out of their possession, that my people be not scattered, every man from his possession. So God did not give the government authority to take property away from the families. Number three is the control of uh, inheritance. Under God's economy, the eldest godly son got a double portion of his parents' estate. And along with that came a responsibility, uh, the responsibility of caring for his elderly parents. And reason he was given a double portion. He could take care of his parents with one of those portions. Second Corinthians 12, verse 14, the children ought not to lay up for the parents, uh, but the parents for the children. Uh, you don't expect your kids to leave you in their will and leave an inheritance to you, but you're supposed to do that for them. Proverbs 13:22 says, "A good man leaveth inheritance to his children's children." That's all the way down to his to his grandkids. Mark 7 verses 10 through 13 says this. 
Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. That's quite a punishment. But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say a gift, by whatsoever thou uh, mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And you suffer him to uh, suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things ye do. Uh, Abraham's possession went to Isaac, not Ishmael. Why, Isaac, he wasn't the eldest, but he was the godly son. Same's true with Isaac's possessions going to his younger son, Jacob, rather than to uh, the eldest Esau. Esau forfeited his right to uh, of being the firstborn in Genesis 25, 34, and so did Reuben in 1 Chronicles 5, 1. So Jacob didn't give the right of the firstborn to his firstborn, Reuben. He gave it down to Joseph several uh, children later. God has a very little opinion of people who despise their birthright. Hebrews 12, verses 16 17 will tell you that. Now, Jacob, when he was old, he was cared for by his son Joseph. And Joseph receives the double portion of the inheritance. So here's the principle. The godly child who supports and cares for the aged parents is the true and main heir. And for parents to will otherwise is to work against godly order. Inheritance, not a question of feeling, it's a question of godly order. To set aside any biblical principle is sinful. The inheritance is the father's blessing to his children. And so for a Christian uh, parent to bestow a blessing, that is inheritance we're talking about here, uh, on an unbelieving or rebellious child is to confer good on evil. It's to bless evil, and that is sin. An ungodly child is to be cut out of his parents' will and is therefore under a curse instead of a blessing from God. You have two major examples in the Bible, Genesis 9, that of Ham, and Genesis 49, that of Reuben. Uh, parents have the obligation of passing uh, on to their godly children, especially the eldest son, whatever they can. The children, in turn, again, have the obligation of caring for their elderly parents. The, what's at stake here is the family unit in this matter of inheritance. Basic to inheritance is the fifth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother, Exodus 20, verse 12. And the child who does not honor his parents disinherits himself under God's law. Jesus said that when a child is allowed to dishonor his parents, he said, quote, Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition, Matthew 15, verse 16. Matthew 15, 4, For God uh, commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth Father or mother, let him die the death. Uh, children still living at home, they're to obey their parents. <clears throat> but when they're grown, grown children who have left their childhood home, they're to continue to honor their parents, even though they're not obligated to obey them anymore. Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 3 says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Why honor them? Well, here's the promise in verse 3, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Matthew 15, verse 4, Jesus quoted the fifth commandment, again, Exodus 20, verse 12, uh, and he was demonstrating the fact that the Old Testament law, now listen, Old Testament law, we're not talking about ordinances, we're not talking about ceremonial law, Colossians 2, 14, Ephesians 2, 15 says those things were nailed to the cross, those things that point
transported to Calvary, those things that dealt with uh, salvation and so forth, those ordinances, ceremonies were nailed to the cross. But in quoting that fifth commandment, Jesus demonstrated the fact that the law of God is binding on our daily life. It is right and it is well-pleasing to the Lord for us to be obedient to the commandments of the Lord. In fact, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, I know a lot of the brethren these days, uh, they, they'll say emphatically that the law is of no concern to New Testament Christianity. I, I don't think they got that out of the Bible. I mean, I doubt their wives would go along with them uh, committing adultery. I mean, after all, if we're not under the law, you can commit adultery, Right. Uh, probably society uh, wouldn't appreciate them murdering people. But if there's no law, if we're not under the law, then they're free to do uh, that uh, if they please. Uh, people will quote Romans 6.14, you're not under the law but under grace. And what they fail to realize is that Romans 6.14 tells us we are not under the law for salvation. It cannot save you. But we are under if we're going to live a holy life, sanctification in life. You can't be holy before God while violating God's law. You can't uh, be cheating and stealing from your neighbor and be holy before God. You can't be taking the names, uh, Lord's name in vain and be holy before God. You can't be committing adultery and be holy before God and on and on. There's no way you can be. Now, parents uh, should always be honored by their children, regardless of the children's ages. To honor means to esteem highly, to value greatly. Uh, and I know some parents, uh, they don't do things in their life that warrant any kind of value, any kind of uh, esteeming them, but uh, we're still to honor our parents. And those who don't are promised a shortened life, and those who do are promised a good life. Exodus 21, verse 15. He that smiteth his father, you hit your dad or your mom, or his mother shall surely be put to death. Boom, harsh treatment there. Verse 17, he that curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. God uh, detests anyone dishonoring their parents, and he puts a death penalty on it, even as such a small thing as uh, speaking out against them, cursing their parents. Under the law to curse your parents incurred the death penalty. So, why so harsh a punishment for simply saying something negative to somebody or about somebody? Well, let me give you three reasons real quick. Number one, a biblical curse is invoking the judgment of God on an evildoer. God is the only one who can damn a person or condemn a person, Matthew 10, 28. So a, such a curse is a request for God to destroy that person in hell. Secondly, honor of, to parents is so fundamental to a, a godly society that no matter how wicked your parents may be, a son or daughter is never at liberty to curse their parent. They might disgrace uh, them, and God doesn't accept that. They can disagree, but they can't disgrace. Uh, they can never curse them. Thirdly, cursing parents is rebellion and treason against God, and under his law, rebellion required uh, the death of the rebellious child. Deuteronomy tells you that. The parent is God's representative. So to smite or curse the representative of God is to insult God himself. That's illustrated when Paul cursed the high priest in Acts 23, verses 3 through 5, as compared with Exodus 22, verse 28. It's illustrated when Saul of Tarsus persecuted Jesus 
his representatives, the Christians, in Acts 9, verses 4 through 5. Uh, he was uh, persecuting Jesus Christ himself by persecuting the Lord's children. So since a curse is an appeal to God to execute judgment, for somebody to curse his parents is an attempt to enlist God on his side against God's own representative. Now, the state has assumed responsibility of inheritance through its welfare system, estate inheritance taxes, probate court, social security, Medicare, and so on and so on. The state will pick up any responsibility, every responsibility that God gave the family when the family lays it down. It also picks up American every freedom we lay down. We don't lose our freedoms. We lay them down through disuse, and the state picks them up, and we can't get them back when that, when that happens. Um, apparently, it never occurs to anybody that any property left to children has already been taxed once when the parents first bought it. So um, the state gets paid for the same property over and over again as it passes from generation to generation in the same family. That's not the same as selling it to somebody else. <coughs> Inheritance is based on principle, not preference. <coughs> the inheritance must be given to the rightful heir. Deuteronomy 21, verses 15 through 17. A father cannot favor an ungodly son. And again, I mentioned under God's law, an ungodly son's worthy of death. That's also in Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 through 21. David gave his kingdom to his tenth son, Solomon, because those before Solomon were all ungodly. Solomon gave the kingdom to an ungodly son, Rehoboam. He left it to a fool, Ecclesiastes 2, verses 18 and 19. And that fool destroyed the kingdom that Solomon had left behind. Our parents will often leave an inheritance to their child uh, for selfish reasons, maybe to perpetuate themselves through their children, maybe to keep their name and their riches alive, a sort of living on through their children. Well, those are not uh, reasons for, for leaving an inheritance. Under God's law, inheritance is left only to godly male children. The reason for that is that when a daughter marries, she enters into her husband's inheritance. But the law allows, God's law I'm talking about, if there was no son uh, or the son was ungodly, then the inheritance could go to the daughters. Numbers 21 verses, I'm sorry, chapter 27 verses 1 through 8 brings that out. Inheritance in God's economy was to remain in the family. The state has no scriptural basis for taking a man's property from him. Ezekiel 46, verses 16 through 18. And so all interference of the state with wills and inheritance is unscriptural, and so it's ungodly. Inheritance can include things besides poverty. Um, I'm sorry, not poverty, property and money. It can include morals. It can include convictions instilled in the children by their parents. That's called a godly heritage. It can also be given before the parents are dead, Luke 15, 12, just like Isaac did with his two sons in Genesis 27. Well, thank God for that principle because our Heavenly Father won't be dead when he gives his children their inheritance, 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4, Romans 8, 17. All right, number four is the control of education. And I have to hurry here. The stable family produces the good student. Decades ago, Russia found that separation of children from their parents from an early infancy produced physical and mental retardation. 
So child care centers should never be the order of the day for Christian families, leaving somebody, your kids with somebody else to raise them instead of their own parents. The education of children is the responsibility of fathers, not the state. 23 times Solomon addresses my son in Proverbs, uh, throughout the book of Proverbs. And Galatians 4 verses 1 and 2 tells us that a child's teachers are appointed of the father. It's wrong for a father to allow his children to, quote, hear the instruction that causes it to err from the words of knowledge, end of quote, Proverbs 19:27. Then uh, it's wrong for you to allow your children any humanistic or evolutionary uh, uh, teacher in their life. Fathers are commanded by God to bring up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6, 4. Now the fifth, uh, fifth power to families is the control of welfare. 1 Timothy 5, 4, if any widow have uh, children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. Verse 8 of that chapter, if any man provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Uh, by the way, the law of gleaning is a, is a form, was a form of welfare. Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10, Leviticus 23, verse 22. God said to those Israelites when they plowed their fields, when they, when they harvested their fields, to don't take every grain out of the, out of the field, leave, uh, leave the corners of the fields untouched, and leave uh, whatever crops up behind the, ma behind the main harvest, the gleanings, leave that for the poor folks. And so that's a form, God's form of welfare. So it wasn't necessary for the government to get involved with taking care of the poor. You know what the problem is today? People are too greedy and selfish for that to work today. They want every kernel out of the field. Okay, the family is God's first and basic institution. And the only power not given to the family was the death penalty, Romans 13.4. I'll comment on that and we'll be done. Uh, somebody asked me, what about the revenger or avenger? Both terms are used in the Bible of blood. That is, the next of kin was given authority from God to execute the person who murdered one of their kin. Now, regulations for that avenger blood are only mentioned in conjunction with the cities of refuge. In those, in those passages, which are, is Numbers 35, verses 19 to 27, Deuteronomy 19, verses 2 to 12, Joshua 20, verses 2 through 6. The a person who killed somebody, whether accidentally or on purpose, whatever, they could flee to the city of refuge. And there they stood trial. That's brought out in the passages. If they were found guilty, then they were turned over to the avenger of blood for execution. If they were found innocent, uh, they had to live in the city of refuge till the death of the high priest, uh, wherein the avenger of blood was not allowed to touch, touch that person, or they'd be uh, put on trial for murder. Or if they left before the high priest died, they would be subject to the avenger at their own risk. So even in even in uh, the avenger blood, is still subject. He was still subject to civil law, and under the court system, and not take matters into his own hand. Well, this is the five powers God gave to the family. And uh, I trust the men, especially who might listen to this, you take it seriously. You're responsible for before God in these matters concerning your family. Well, praise the Lord. Have a good day. <laughs>